So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. Ladies and gentlemen, what is going on? Tyson Popplestone here. Pop Culture Podcast is what you're listening to. I'm looking out of my backyard and I've got what looks like a cricket pitch just mowed in my lawn because, well, a cricket pitch length is probably all the amount of time I could get done when I was uh, on dad duty yesterday. It's interesting when you have a two-year-old and a a three-and-a-half-week-old how little you can get done. (laughs) Even in, the, even in the time that's yours. And I love it, but I mean, as a person who also appreciates some form of productivity, it's very, very frustrating. Yesterday, uh, yesterday, Jesse, it was my turn to take, I usually take the kids at about 3.30. I take Charlie at 3.30 because Ollie's still got to be breastfed and I can't, I can't do much in that department just yet. And uh, Charlie and I, we went out the backyard and we've got a big bark pile because they chopped down a tree and chipped it up. And uh, he was digging holes there. So I thought, while he's entertained, I'm going to get the look. Because our backyard, it's atrocious. If you, I'm looking over at my neighbor's backyard as we speak, and it's their, their backyard looks glorious in comparison to us. It's a well-maintained lawn, relatively speaking. Relative to ours, it's, it's well-maintained. They've still got a few weeds up around their garden. Their clothesline is up straight. I mean, well, this house needs some work. We're starting, our backyard's starting to look a little bit sketchy because I think one of the things I reckon that you let go when you have kids, especially at this age, is what to do in a moment of downtime. I've always been the kind of guy that I pride myself. I hate clutter. Like, I'm really attracted to the idea of minimalism. If there's less is, uh, less is something that I really appreciate. But I went through a phase a few years ago where I went real hard on the minimalism and then about 12 months later, I was like, crap, I needed all that stuff. I'm going to have to go out and repurchase it. So somewhere somewhere in the middle of what I was a few years ago and where we're at now would be really nice because when there's a spare hour in your day, you go, you know what, I don't, I don't want to spend this spare hour cleaning. Even this morning, Jessie said to me, she goes, babe, we're going to have to talk about these dishes. I don't know how to get on top of it. I said, honestly, I didn't even notice that there was a problem. So maybe if you could, how about we just play the game that whatever you notice, you fix by yourself. <laughs> because, because then it means, well, technically it means I'm an asshole. It means I get out of a job that she's desperately asking for help with. Not directly, because she feels as though she's already asked for a lot. But yesterday, uh, Charlie was out in the backyard. I got a cricket pitch mowed into, into the lawn. And, uh, and now I've got to sit up here upstairs and look down on it in, in disgust and disappointment. It's just, there's a certain feeling that comes over you, I reckon, when you mow one part of your lawn. I find not one part of your lawn, like when your whole when your whole lawn's mowed. I think you, you look out your back window and you're like, "Hey, look! I've look what I created. Look what I achieved." It's like when you get a haircut; you just feel better, don't you think? Speaking, of, I'm actually I'm I'm really due for one now. I I said to Jesse before I came up here and hit record. I go, "Hey, is my hair okay to be on camera?" She said, "You look good." I'm not going to say I don't look good, but I am going to say that the care the hair probably could have uh, had a little bit more attention paid to it. A little bit fluffy. It's very fluffy if you're not careful. That's why I appreciate a blow dry. My hair, uh, I think I like it best when you when you slick it right back. Like if you slick it right back, I like that. I don't even know what era it's from, but I like that slicked back look. But that requires a good hair dryer, some good gel, perhaps a little bit of hairspray. I'm not entirely sure how I feel about spraying hairspray on my head though. Like I don't know. Surely that's not good, is it? I even heard climate change activists from like the 80s say we've got to get rid of this because it's really bad for the environment. So you can't be spraying that in your hair and feeling good about yourself, can you? 
every now and then it gets on your skin, you feel like your neck's a little bit stuck. I don't know anything about that topic, so I shouldn't really go into the environmental impacts of the hairspray that I use once a year, because I'm pretty sure it's gonna be next to nothing, but I just wanted you guys to know that I'm, uh, you know, I'm Mr. Environmental is what they call me. No one's ever called me that, but yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a good couple of weeks since I uh, last caught up. My best mate Jocker got married. We went out to we went out to uh, actually a friend of mine. Uh, so there was a bloke who it's a very confusing story. I won't bore you with all the details. Essentially, one of our best mates moved over to Holland a couple of years ago or ten years ago, and then a year and a half ago we got excited because he was moving back to Australia. We thought this is fantastic, moving his little boy, his wife back to Australia. They got back to Australia a year and a half ago, and they're like, well. This- <laughs> This isn't what we remembered it to be. And, uh, you know, they, they came at a bad time, granted. We were in full-blown lockdown. Um, and so they had to go back. They had to go back to... They chose to go back to Holland. But just before they left, Jocker said to these guys, hey, uh, would you be willing to be a, a groomsman at my bridal party, at my wedding? And he, he said yes, he came back. And so the boys got back together. Me, Maddie, Jolie, and Big Jocker uh, went out to Maddie's grandparents' house that they'd just sold. Sold nicely as well, just quietly. Maddie was throwing around a couple of numbers. I thought, thank you very much. I wish I had bought this block back in 1974. <laughs> Would have been a great purchase. So we had out in Ocean Grove. It's a nice part of Ocean Grove as well. There's there's different parts of towns, isn't there? I'm originally from Trelgan, which if you wanted to categorise as a town, not that, not that. You, you wouldn't rate it highly, I don't think. I like Whenever you have power stations blowing coal over a town, like it's steam, essentially, but you know, I think there's remnants. You go, right, it's not the most aesthetically pleasing <laughs> look on the town. When you've got postcards and it's just got big power stations to represent the place that you're from, you go, all right, well, we need to be, we need to be recognised for something else because the fact that we're just known for, I think, the largest power stations in Australia is, uh, I mean, it's probably not the highlight, aesthetically speaking, anyway. I mean, I'm very grateful during the middle of winter and I'm sitting next to a fireplace. I, I'm always grateful for them then. But when I'm going for a run and breathing that air, I go, ah, is this good? I don't know. Someone told me as well the other day that, that Gippsland has the highest cancer rate in Australia. But it was one of those conversations where facts just get thrown around a little bit. It's like, okay, well, uh, this is the highest cancer rate. And I just said, oh, really? Like, where did you hear that? They go, oh, it's just a pretty well-known fact. I'm sceptical of well-known facts at the moment. There's a lot of well-known facts that uh, aren't, aren't that well-known. I just realised it's a really good way to put forth your argument and not have to justify anything you've said. You just go, well, experts are saying... Yeah, what experts? Well, the ones I'm listening to are saying this, but I mean, like, surely it can't be that great. The idea of a power station in your little territory, but um, Trelgan as a whole is, actually Trelgan as a whole is is probably the best way to describe it. It's very funny. It's one of those towns where there's a nice part of it, but then there's a there's a part of the town also where it's like, ah, oh, okay, well, you definitely don't want to live there. And I think it's got like a pretty heavy drug use going on there. There's a there's a fair bit of uh, there's some interesting people. All you got to go. I feel like a really good sample of the people that you're dealing with are at the local shopping centre or the plaza. In fact, if your town has a plaza, it's probably a sign that you live in a town which is the equivalent to Trelgan. Plazas are in, they're not quite powerful enough to to be able to justify a shopping centre. Their population may be a little bit small. But a plaza is enough. It's just enough to get people out of their house. Plazas, generally speaking, have people in tracksuit pants and hoodies, holes in it. Probably haven't shared it. If you see someone walking down the street in moccasins and tracksuit pants, you go, oh, okay, I, I sort of get the vibe here. And I think Trelgan's one of those places. You go down, you go, okay, there's a lot going on here. 
There's a lot going on here. Very wealthy people. I know a couple of really wealthy people from uh, Troll. Granted, just out of Troll and Glenn Gary, actually, one of my mates owns a, uh, he owns 50% of a, like a fertilizing company, or 50% of a part of a fertilizing co company, John O'Connor. He's the owner of it. He's a wealthy man. He's done well for himself. He lives just out of Trelgan. He's got a beautiful place there. But there's a couple of streets. My mum showed me the street that she used to live in. I was like, oh, holy shit, mum. You've taken a step in the right direction. Thank God you got out of there. This is, uh, this is dangerous. This is a dangerous part of town. I think the population as well, the population of Trelgan's grown a lot in the last 25 years. I think when I was a kid, it was... I remember it being maybe 25,000 or 18,000. I'm not sure what it is right now. I could probably I could probably Google it. I didn't bring Siri here. Population of Tarogan. Let me see what that is. Population of Tarogan. Not Transylvania. Thanks, Google. Population of Tarogan. Uh, see, my problem is I'm on... DuckDuckGo. DuckDuckGo is never overly helpful with these things. I've just jumped across to, I know you guys aren't probably super interested in the population of Trelgan, but now we're here, population. Let's just find this out together. I think I've bought you this half of TRA. I remember I got in trouble because when I lived in Perth, I did a project on my town. Oh, wait, 26,000. Okay, so what am I thinking? The urban population of Trelgan 2021 census was 26,000. That's quite small, fastest growth. Oh, maybe this is what I'm thinking. It's got a population of 77,000 for the Latrobe Valley. Latrobe Valley is a big area. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is there's a lot more people coming in there now, and I think some of the people who are coming in are probably going to the commission houses because they're, they're relatively cheap, but they're also very ugly. Not sure how we got into Trelgan uh, conversations, but you know what? You know what, speaking actually, just before I finish this topic, my mum was telling me the other day that when I was five she bought her place in gippsland for i think it was fifty-seven thousand dollars, and it's amazing i understand inflation and stuff like that but i reckon she must have been on what you say 15 grand a year back then so so if you could have contributed four and a half times your full income to that particular job that particular house you would have had that you would have had that house paid off right now i'm sitting in a house that honestly when the wind blows it shakes if you bought this place it would blow down valued on realestate.com for 1.5 Say you've got like a half decent job you're making, or say you've got a, a good paying job, 150, that's 10 years of your income that you need to pay off that. That's where it gets a little bit scary. That's where I, I find the conversation about whether or not to buy a house an interesting one. Because there's a, this is what I don't understand. Like I think in Australia, or in the Western world maybe, like the, we'll go with Australia. I'll stick to what I know. But the last 40 or 50 years, you look at property growth over here and you go, okay, well, uh, naturally it just goes up and up and up and up and up. But sure, like is there, is it foolproof? I don't know. Like does the house price keep going up? Because otherwise, why don't we just, why don't we just buy all the houses? Like if you've got the money, why don't you just buy all the houses? Surely there's got to be a little bit more in that algorithm that we've got to figure out. What happened in the United States in 2008, 2009? I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure what happened with that bubble, but I'm pretty sure some people lost the value of their house there. I'm pretty sure people lost more than just the value. They lost their house in total. But anyway, it'd be nice. Yeah, the, the bloke next door to me here bought his place for $11,000 back in 1978. He goes, I, I tossed and turned for weeks trying to figure out whether it was a wise choice. And I said, are you happy with it? He goes, mate, I bought this place for 11000 You couldn't buy your back patio for 11000 I said, there's no need to get arrogant about it. You know, just you've come over here to drop some strawberries off for my kid, not to do it. I didn't know you were here to do a humble brag about 
the investment of a lifetime that you made. I made 12 bucks on my stocks this morning, and that was a, that was a pretty good day for me, but anyway, that was a rabbit hole we've just gone down. I had my best mate's wedding last week. I was best man there with Maddie, there with Joel. Very, very good experience. It was a, it was a tough experience for my best mate as well, because he... Uh, he lost his old man Graham about a month and a half ago, so it'd been a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Um, one of the highlights, one of the highlights. I'm not even a car fan, is is what I thought. But his dad used to drive a Bentley, and as a as a as a little token or a finger point, a hat tip to to his dad, we were we got to drive this 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 gorgeous Bentley into a into a wedding. I've never felt so arrogant in my life. I remember we went and picked it up from Quest Apartments in Geelong, which is where it had been stored for a couple of weeks, and I just felt so arrogant because here's the thing. I always think I'm, I'm a very humble guy, but then it comes to me having the opportunity to rock in style and all these arrogant feelings come up. I go, in my head, I owned the car and I was a very wealthy businessman. I got in that car. I was just giving people in casual cars the fingers. Go, mate, what, like, what do you do for a job? What are you doing with your time? I'm in a Bentley, mate. I was a passenger. My best mate, who's a lot classier than me, was driving the bad boy, and he was he was very humble about it. He'd he'd been thrown into those kind of experiences far more than me, so he he looked rather natural driving that Bentley. Um, I was sitting there just but because in a Bentley, like in my head, you're too cool to make eye contact with the plebs driving past you in the cars that I drive. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's very humbling to get dropped off back at your normal car, get out of a Bentley, and get dropped back back at your Mazda CX five. And carry that same level of enthusiasm. And it's why you've got to meditate, isn't it? Because you can't let the emotions of what it is that you own or what it is that you think to get the better of you. And I definitely was doing that. In my head, I was a Fortune 500 company owner who had done some miraculous things. I was looking at me in the way that I was hoping people around me were looking at me. And they weren't. No one was looking at us, which was the really disappointing thing. Because when you drive the Bentley, you have the feeling in your head. You're like, hey, look, I, what I've done is, is quite miraculous. Do you think that's fair? Do you think that's true? Obviously, people see the car, but they're not thinking about you. They're thinking about the car, mostly speaking. I think that's true. What do you do? Like when you when you see a really wealthy person in a really nice car, are you thinking about the person or are you thinking about the car? Or maybe you don't maybe you don't care about either. Granted, I'm I'm pouring a little bit of sugar on this story. I genuinely I'm not that much of a car fan. So you could drive a real nice car past me and I I probably wouldn't notice. I wouldn't have known what a Bentley was until my, my best mate's dad got one. But if you drove like a, a 1960-style Mustang past me, I think that's what I get excited about. It's not necessarily, well, it's not the same amount of money to buy a Mustang as what it would be to buy a Bentley. But man, those Mustangs, they, they look cool, don't they? I reckon that's that's the kind of car I want to go around in. But you can't you probably can't be driving a, a Mustang around with two kids seats in it because <laughs> that neutralizes any cool that you might have had. Went out to the wedding, I had to do a speech. I was pretty nervous about the speech as well, because uh because Jocker said to me, he goes, mate, just we're 35, you don't need to take the piss. He goes, tell a couple of jokes, but keep it classy. And I was like, well, there are two things that I've probably struggled with a lot in my life, humor and class. I'm not 100% sure where the line is with some things. And class is just, I don't think it's necessarily something that's affiliated with, with me or my family. <laughs> you say the Popplestone's classy, you go, nah, no, that's not a word. That's not a word that I would associate with your family. I go, well, what word would you associate with my family? People go, I don't know, like cockhead. Uh, I go, well, you know, sometimes honesty is not the best policy. If you could just water that down a little bit, because that's something that I have to carry around with me for a little while now. 
So I went quite light. I'm not usually a big drinker. I don't usually smoke. I don't I don't do anything like that. I'm, I'm very health conscious usually. And I know there's arguments around whether or not there's some health benefits to wine. And I think there's some pretty strong arguments. But uh, on, a, on a night like that, I think, okay, well, Tyus, you've got to calm down a little bit. It's, it's Jocker's wedding. He's waited a long time for this. Not going to be able to do this again till his next one. That's, a, that's not a funny joke, is it? I said that to him just before he got married. He goes, mate, not now. Okay, so I've got the timing wrong. <laughs> I was, sorry. Just enjoy your day, big fella. You have a good one. Um, yeah, but this day, like he had, they put on a good show. They had some really good quality wine. I requested a vegetarian meal, but then the lamb, the lamb got brought out to me and Maddie, Maddie goes, just eat some, mate. I said, you know what, you've put up a really good argument there. I'm going to, because it looked, it looked delicious. I was eating a bowl of broccoli, essentially, with some fancy spices on it. I thought, well, it's your best mate's wedding ties. Have a little bit of lamb. And the wine got flowing. I love, I love what happens, actually, when, when wine gets flowing. Because there's, I think there's certain people that, I don't know what it is. Certain people relax when there's a little bit of wine flowing through. Like, there might be a little bit of awkward. I love how walls come down a bit when when a few drinks have been shared. I reckon socially, that's the best thing about a wine. That's the best thing about a couple of drinks is like any tension that might be in a room between a couple of people. Once you get a couple of wines flowing, yeah, what tension, what are we talking about? Why can't we just constantly be in this state? Someone yells out, because that'll make you an alcoholic. The effects of the alcohol would diminish over time. You wouldn't feel as good and you'd require more alcohol for this desired outcome. I go, mate, honestly, I didn't want the science. I just want to feel good is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to deal with my anxiety. The meditation's not enough. I was just wondering whether I could get shit-faced enough that these negative feelings about myself would disappear. But I um, speech went pretty well. I think I, I think I got a good little balance of a little bit of funny, a little bit of humour. But the MC stole the show. He got up and uh, he gave me a grand introduction, talking about all the things I'd failed at in my life, <laughs> which was very humbling. This is Tyson. He tried to climb Mount Everest. He used to be a youth pastor. He's, done, he's tried this. He's done that. And uh, I thought, well, honestly, what a perfect location to talk about where a bloke just lacks commitment. Is at a wedding where you're committing your life to this one other person. And then um, I sat down and thought the speech had gone very well. The MC got back up and goes, ah, not as, not as funny as I thought. <laughs> not as funny as I thought it was going to be. That brought the house down, which was disappointing. You don't want the MC outclassing you. But I bloody, I left the door open. I had to get up there and just treat it like I was Mrs. Maisel. That's a, riff, that's a, a, a reference to a Amazon Prime TV show that I'm watching at the moment. Actually, we're halfway through the last episode. Very good. Mostly, I don't know if I told you about this, but I feel like the only way to describe that show is to make yourself sound like a, a, a wanker. Some of the dialogue is preposterous. I don't quite understand what's happening. I feel like two different writers have written it, which is maybe possible. But it's no, it's no Ted Lasso, is what I'm trying to say. We're two episodes into that. Have you seen Ted Lasso? Everyone needs a little bit of Ted Lasso attitude about them, I think. Just, hey, water off a duck's back. That kind of attitude. Have a laugh at it. People are going to take the piss. Have a laugh. Have a, I'm not sure. I'm, he's also got a little bit of uh, neuroticism about him where I look at him and think, oh, you could explode at any minute and, and, and kill your family. I'm not 100% sure if this is a healthy approach, but nonetheless, I appreciate your optimism for where we're at now. So if you've seen the second season and he does come out and kill his whole soccer team and leave like a suicide note before he goes, just you know, just, just know that I'm not at that part of the series just yet. What's a great documentary the other day? Um, What's it called? Nike's Last Attempt or something? It's on also on Amazon Prime. There's a lot of documentaries being watched in our household because I I take Ollie from 7 till 12 to try and let little Mrs. Pops get asleep. Prime, let me just watch this. I want to tell you guys, Prime Video, 
Salazar. So Alberto Salazar was the head coach of the Nike track team, I think it's called. Nike's big bet. Nike's big bet. Alberto Salazar and the fine line of sport. It puts... So it talks about this story of Alberto Salazar, who was a top American runner. I don't know what time he ran for the marathon, but he was he was very, very good. He was groundbreaking. He was world record holder at one point in time before the uh, the Kenyans came and taught him a lesson. And long story short is he took over the role of head coach at this uh, Nike track team. And uh, over time, we started to realize that there was there was some real close brushes with cheating that he had done. Like he, I don't think you look, he's a little bit of a Lance Armstrong of the industry, I think, but interesting as well in the documentary. I don't know if this is still true. I don't know when this documentary came out, but apparently no Alberto Salazar athlete ever tested positive. They never actually gave a positive test. I think they had a couple of A samples which appeared as positive, but the way I understand that the doping system works is you have to test positive both to A and B. I don't understand the difference. I won't talk about it, but the A and B, uh, the, a couple of his athletes had some asterisks next to his name. But the documentary talks about how this guy, he essentially, he runs a fine line with what's acceptable in sport. He'll hear about the rules and then he'll do as much as he can to get as close to it or be a little bit tricky with it and not break it. And I, can't, I sort of changed my opinion on on sport because if you, with, with what I'd heard about Alizar, this is the power of the media. Like you don't have to do research. And if you don't do the research by yourself... I mean, you miss out on so many other stories that are out there. And, and granted, I hadn't heard any other side to this argument. I just thought he was a drug cheat. I thought he got done for that. I had a feeling, I'm sorry if I've just made this up, Alberto, but I, I thought there was a couple of claims against him that he might have been a bit dodgy with a couple of females, female athletes. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But the drug thing was the main problem. I, I had stuck in my head he was just a drug cheat. But by the end of this documentary, I was like, I actually, I think I, I think I like this guy. I think it's kind of, it's very dodgy. I've got to be careful how I say this. Very dodgy, some of the things that he was doing. But I think if you can get close to a line, that's essentially what you want to, you want to get as close to the line without being called a cheat. Is that fair? Like the rules are in place for a reason. Some, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell on the documentary. He was interviewed. He says, look, um, it takes more respect for what the rules are to be an Alberto Salazar than your average coach. Because the average coach goes, all right, I roughly know the rules. Make sure you stick within that. Alberto Salazar was like, no, we need every possible advantage that we can get over our opposition. So let me know the rules back to front and figure out where there's a little hole or a chink in the armor. It sounds like I'm promoting drug use for athletes in sport. I'm not trying to come across as that. I'm just trying to say I appreciate what it is that he's doing. You want to get the self, you want to get the most out of yourself. Well, I think sometimes you're going to have to figure out, especially in a sport like that, where so much has got to do with recovery, you've got to figure out whether there's any little uh, any little cheeky things that you can do within the rules, just to clarify, that's going to give you a little added advantage. I don't know, you look, in, you look into some people's eyes though, and I don't know if I'm just saying this because I get sketchy vibes from, I look in his eyes like, ah, you're not a, you're a hard man. You're a tough unit. You're a kind of bloke that I'm a little bit scared to. I wouldn't want to mess with you. He, he, he looks like he's got a little bit of a, a little bit of fire in him. But if you're looking for a documentary, highly recommend that one. Really, really. What else have I watched lately? I watched that one. I watched this show about a guy as well, uh, who after the the twin terror attacks, two thousand and one, he went out. And he was a little bit of a, what do you call it? Like he was a bit of a redneck, redneck. He looked like he's from poor part of town. Had a real rough history, a real rough upbringing. He didn't, he didn't give me the vibe of a bloke who's all there. 
Um, and he went out and in revenge to the Twin Tower attackers, he went out and just started trying to shoot people who appeared as though they might even be mildly Muslim. But he got muddled up a couple of times and just took down Indians. It was a, it was a really, uh, it was a really, it was, it was terrifying to be honest. But it's his story because he, he, he got into a, like a, what's it called? What's it called when you, uh, what do you call it? When you're on death row. Yeah, he was on death row for, for 12 years. And, you know, I, I won't give away the ending because it's actually a really, really crazy story about how they, they're trying to get him off and, uh, you know, some of the little ways that they might be able to get him off. But there's another, there's another good one for you. I love a good documentary. If you've got any recommendations, make sure you let me know. I love it when you just stumble across a really good one. I remember when I stumbled across Icarus. And I just couldn't believe what I was witnessing. I was like, oh, I'm not that interested in it. But I'll give it a go just because, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a fan of cycling. And then you're like, all right, this guy's trying to do some blood doping. And then he goes to the Russian guy for help. The Russian guy's a part of a whole a whole web of, of just difficulties and frustrations. And, you know, this is taking a radical turn. This is not at all where I was expecting it to go. The other thing I've been doing as I'm, uh, I keep wanting to say as I'm breastfeeding, I guess you can say that in 2022, can't you? But I'm sitting there with a bottle. There's no milk coming out of my nipples, despite their size, as I hear my friends say. Which is very forward of them. They're not mucking around. Not backwards in coming forward, my friend, which is actually a trait of a lot of my closest mates. A lot of, if you look at my closest mates, they all have very strong opinions. I guess we all have strong opinions, but I think my, my friends are a little more vocal with it, which I like. I like that characteristic. My wife's even like, my wife's a straight shooter. Every now and then she goes, your nipples are ridiculous. I go, but honestly, I'm trying to have a bath. Let me relax. <laughs> Seriously. Just light the candles for me. Go go breastfeed the baby. Let me have a relax. I've had a big day. Had to listen to you. Had to listen to that baby cry all day. Had to listen to you talk to me about how sore your nipples are. Babe, give me a break is what I'm trying to say. Friend said to me the other day, he goes, I, I listen to your podcast and as as much as it infuriates me, I kind of know where you're coming from. But if a first time listener came to this podcast, they would be they'd be disgusted by you essentially. They wouldn't appreciate anything you essentially said you should end your podcast because your opinions aren't valid. I said, Hey, listen to the intro song. What are you gonna tell them, tough guy? The usual, zero, nothing. Don't come here for an education. Right, there's, there's no education take. Well, come here every second week. Come for an education. That's where I'll. Uh, that's where I'll have a guest on, and have a bit of a chat to him. But, but I'm essentially forming ideas here. All right, this is. I'm not Ben Shapiro coming forth with just logic. I'm coming forth with emotion and half formed thoughts. And I wanted to hear what you think about it. Marriage is interesting when you when you bring kids into the equation. Me and Jesse have we've been laughing a little. Well, we haven't been laughing that much. Is the problem been a little bit tense at each other because when you eliminate sleep from your schedule you keep hearing about how important sleep is but then you take sleep out and you're like oh, i'm a bad person i'm a really i'm just a nasty person there's been a couple of those moments the last couple of weeks ago oh, i can't i should just have an early night because <laughs> what i said I, I didn't mean i've just brought out arsenal from an argument we had four weeks ago i'd like to apologize to you and to your mother about how she was just roped into that argument. I'm very, very sorry. Jesse listens to a lot of parenting podcasts where they talk about just the highs and lows of it. So I think there's a little bit of comfort that comes with what you go through as a parent when you hear that every parent goes through similar things. But nonetheless, it's, um, you know, 
you don't want to be called a cockhead because you haven't done the dishes is what I'm saying. She didn't deserve it. <laughs> it's not a nice way to speak to a lady, especially the way, especially the one you uh, you love. You've just made these beautiful vows in front of a you know, room full of people in 2011. Now you're calling her a cockhead while she's trying to wash the dishes. It's your job, Tice. Just go and wash them. I didn't call her a cockhead. Not out loud. I said it under my breath. I'd be in so much trouble if I said that out loud. I would. Wouldn't be worth it, I don't think. One of the things I, I started just last week, what are we today? It's Thursday. No, earlier this week, I started listening through the top 100 albums of all time. I was listening to a Lex, Lex Friedman podcast with Rick Rubin. I'm going through a massive Rick Rubin fan at the moment. He's an interesting guy. He's a, he's a music producer and he's worked with he's worked with the, the who's who. He's worked with Jay-Z, he's worked with Adele, he's worked with um, Johnny Cash. He's an older guy, I think. He must be pushing 60. I think he was working with Johnny Cash in the latter part of his career. Did I say Kanye? He had Kanye on there as well. I think I said Kanye. He doesn't know how to use a mixer. He reckons being a music producer is less about knowing music and more about knowing culture and trends. Like knowing roughly what the audience wants to hear before, before they know. I don't know why I'm so interested in this guy. He's a very interesting guy. I think he's a little bit of a hippie as well, but I heard him on Lex Friedman the other day, and Lex mentioned that he was listening through Rolling Stone's top 500 albums of all times. I think he was listening to the top 100 albums, but it was in the list of a top five. So I started doing that the other day, and it was the first time I sat through, because at 99 was Taylor Swift's album Red from, I think it was 2021. Taylor Swift's not necessarily my style. But I'm not, I'm not listening to it. My rule is I'm not necessarily listening to it because I want to be a Taylor Swift fan. I'm more listening to it because I, I want to develop a bit of an appreciation for what is considered the greatest albums of all time. Well, who did it start with? Number 100 was... My phone's just over there. Not, I think the highlight so far has been Metallica's 1986 album, something about... Was it Battery Life? That's pretty heavy. That's a good one to get on halfway through your day. Whenever I'm doing admin, I'll just chuck a, I'll chuck an album on and just try and work through it. Because I don't usually listen to albums. I think that's Spotify's fault. Usually I'll just skip through songs. I'll put it on like Metallica radio. I'll put it on Bob Dylan radio. And then I'll just go, all right, we'll see where this takes me. And as a result, you, you come across a whole heap of good songs, but you don't really know what it's a part of. But that R.E.M. song, uh, I want to know. Have you ever seen... Is that them? I think I've just... <laughs> I think I've just... Is that Cat Stevens? I'm not sure. But R.E.M., man, what a band. I think it's their 1991 album. I think it's Ace. I reckon it was called Ace. Anyway, I've, uh, I'm halfway through Drake's album at the moment. Drake's a cool guy. Drake's the kind of bloke that makes you think, oh, I wish I was, I wish I was Drake. <laughs> he's, a, he's an interesting guy. Just... Uh, do you, ever, do you ever flash back? Like, do you ever think back to when you're 12 years old and think about the different direction that you might have taken your life in? Like, because there's a thousand different ways to live, isn't there? Like, there's a thousand different areas that you can put your time towards. And it's always, I battle with this a little bit. I'm often thinking, like, all right, well, Tosh, you've got limited time in your day. You can't do everything. But what are a couple of things you could do? Like, what are a couple of things you could do? Well, so for me at the moment, I'm focused on my comedy. I'm focused on my day trading. I'm focused on relax, right? They're my three. Like in the in the work world, where I, where I make money. I mean, there's not so much money coming through the comedy world just yet. It's more just petrol money that I'm spending to get to these gigs. But started at the bottom, now we're here, as the great man Drake would say. 
that's what I tell myself when I'm 45 minutes in into a two-hour drive to a gig that goes for five minutes. Even, it's, you know, you need that more on the way home if you bomb at that gig. I need to start inviting people to my gigs, I've realised. I, uh, I think what puts me off inviting people to a gig is there's so many... Um, there's just so many different variables that comes with a room, especially at the open mic level. You don't know what you're going to get. And I think one of my mates said to me the other day, he goes, hey, I watched uh, I watched one of your comedy sets on, on YouTube the other day. And I was like, oh, there's only one. And I know it was a really good set. I had a great set that night. It was at the Phoenix Clubhouse in Medford uh, or in Phoenix in, in Oregon. And uh, I had a great set. I got down. I was like, man, that was great. Problem with it is the way the microphone's set up is you can hear me and then you, there's just no audience contribution. I don't know how the audio technicians do it when someone feels, films a special, but you've got to make sure that there's equal volume on the laughter as what there is on the comedian. Because if you're hitting a punchline, you can just hear in the background, <laughs> it just sounds like you're bombing. So I, I had to tick a box before I put that up on YouTube, and I thought, yeah, that's a good one. I'm happy to have that one out there. And... Uh, and I put it on, like you just can't hear the laughter. And I was like, okay, well, now just look, everyone who wants to see me do comedy can just type that name in and just watch me apparently bomb. And uh, there's, there's something to be said about the energy in a particular room as well. I always say that you wouldn't go into a bar fight and start telling jokes because the atmosphere is wrong. Well, what would people do if you went into a bar fight and started telling jokes? People go, what are you doing, mate? Get, I'm very angry. But there's varying degrees of that in a room. Like you can go, you can go from that bar, bar fight vibe to... Okay, we've had four wines, we're having the best night of our life. If you jump in here, even the setup to a joke are hilarious. You'll get halfway through a punchline and people you can't even hear what the actual punchline is because these people are laughing so hard. But what you did on that night's not necessarily better. It's just that the atmosphere in the room. This is the thing, there's so many variables with comedy. That's what makes it so interesting. Because it's hard to put your finger on exactly what went really, really well and what went really, really badly. And I think that's part of the fun. I think that's part of the attraction. I reckon that's why people can do it forever and still be in love with it because it's like I've never quite figured out this puzzle. Like you can get certain facets of your game right and you go, okay, well, that went really well. Like I need to pause here or I need to be a little bit looser there or like just what am I doing with my hands? Like there's certain facets that improve your overall performance is what I'm realizing, but there's no one magic formula that if you apply it every time, you just kill every time. Because you might go to a room, like open mics are interesting because sometimes you'll go there and, and there's music and maybe most of the people there to see music. I think I've told you about that guy. I'm actually going to this room tonight up in Altham where every Thursday, he, this guy and five of his mates, they catch up for dinner in the same room knowing that there's open mic comedy and they hate open mic comedy. And every week they're disappointed and angry that we're there. So try getting up into that room and, uh, and making these boys. They don't want to laugh. I thought, oh, surely I'll just have a bit of a banter with them about, you know, the fact that I'm here again. And every time I do, they go, I'm not, I'm not that interested in, in anything that you have to say. I go, well, that's fair. But, I mean, the definition of insanity, what is it? You keep doing that same thing over and over and expecting a different result. We're here every Thursday. Like, if you've at all got the option to just catch up with your friends on a Friday, maybe that'd be a better option because, you know, halfway through your conversation, I'm going to come out here with a microphone and tell you these jokes that I'm trying to figure out. Anyway. It's very, very fun. Actually, speaking of comedy and documentaries, to go back to something I said earlier, the Comedy Store documentary, I think that, is it Netflix that that's on? Or Stan, maybe? That was a great documentary, looking at the history of the comedy house or the comedy store. 
over there in LA. I'm not 100% sure how it's got. I guess it's back up and running now. The world seems a little more normal again, is what I'm realizing. It's, uh, it's really interesting watching, it's just really interesting watching what's happening here because I think like the, the vaccine conversation was interesting for the last couple of years. And I was a, I was a fair loudmouth about it because I was just, I was at a point where I was so sick of people telling me what to do when no one really knew whether they were gonna work or not. Do you remember that? Like a couple of years ago, people were saying to me, Tyus, do your thing so we can get out of lockdown. I was like, no, no, that's not, I'm, I'm not responsible for the lockdowns. Do you know what I mean? The government decided that we got to go into lockdown, not me. I'm not doing it so you can get out of lockdown because I, I don't like this part. Like we're on the same page there. I'm on your team here. Even though there's plenty of perks with getting up at nine for your 905 meeting start. I mean, I can see why you're putting up a case for, <laughs> for, for working from home. But... Uh, it's interesting. I saw I saw just last night or the other night that the Australian budget released some of the numbers and $77 million was spent on vaccine injuries. I don't, and granted, listen, I, I don't know. I don't, this is a classic, uh, I'm not going to call myself an anti-vaxxer because that's weird that I'd vaccinate my kids and, you know, that's a terrible anti-vaxxer, not very committed to the cause. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? My first boys had them, most of them. I hit pause a little way through because I realized the same experts telling me to get the COVID one were the ones telling me to get my kid done. I go, hang on a second. I just, I don't believe anything you're telling me about this one anymore. I feel like there's a lot of financial gain to you and, you know, potential financial risk if you tell me any other story. So I'm not sure that your recommendations are, it's hard. Like if, you're, if your job's under threat for not going with the guidelines you've been given, I get it. Like I'd, well, I was going to say I'd do the same thing. I wouldn't. But I understand how people would. Like if you're at risk of losing your job because you're not going to tell people this certain narrative. I don't know. I think people have the best intentions. I think people's hearts are good. Like doctors like doctors get into the industry, I think, because they go, okay, I want to help people's lives. Surely. Yeah, sure, it's a, it's, a, it's a good paying job. I've got a lot of Asian friends who they got into it because their parents made them, <laughs> which is a different situation. But they're very well-intentioned people. So I think having them in there... Uh, like they're, they're very keen to do good. But I think the problem with it is when you as a doctor are being threatened with your job by not giving a certain piece of advice, whether that advice is right or wrong, I'm not saying I know, I have no idea. I'm just saying whether that advice is right or wrong. Like, what do you do? You have to do what you're told. Otherwise, like, how do you pay your mortgage? How do you look after your family? What are you supposed to do there? But anyway, $77 million was spent on vaccine injuries, which is funny because... Uh, I think here in Australia, we're constantly told it's safe and effective. Now, that, that's true. I think if you look at that as a percentage, you look at the percentage of that and you go, okay, well, it, that, relatively speaking, it's very safe and effective. Almost, you get 10 people and like there's a very high chance that not even one of them have had a problem. That's fine. But I think you have to be very clear that it's a safe and effective for 99.5% of the population. You can't just say it's safe and effective full stop because that's, that's not an honest conversation. That's not an honest, you, 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 you're being a little bit sneaky, I think. But I read somewhere, now I could be making this up, so make sure you fact check me. But I think that number was, it was either 10 times, but I think it was 100 times higher than the regular rate of money that's put towards vaccine injury. I'd never heard of myocarditis. I know, I know Charlie Boy, not my Charlie Boy, a guy, a mate up in Sydney. I know one bloke who had myocarditis. I know one bloke who had pericarditis, which is... I think myocarditis, is that just the, it, it, let me Google that. 
Let's find out together. It's it, myocarditis. It's scarring of the lining of the heart. Is that right? Myocar, myocarditis. Um, here we go. Myocarditis. Inflammation of the middle layer. Sorry, middle layer of the heart wall. And then pericarditis. I'm not going to Google that, but from what I understand, pericarditis is, is a little more temporary. I think that's what our boy Stuart McSwain here, the distance runner, had. I think he had pericarditis, which threw him out after his booster shot for a couple of months. And then, uh, thank the Lord, baby Jesus, he's uh, he's fully healed and just run some of the best times that I've ever seen run, which is which is just beautiful to see. But that's strange. That's right. And then New York have, have just announced. Now, I, I'm in the early stages. I've, I've seen a couple of Instagram memes on this subject, but apparently I posted one yesterday just because it was, I think, uh, mainly because I like the music, but unvaccinated public workers are being demanded by a, a New York judge to, uh, sorry, the, the companies of unvaccinated public workers in New York have been told to let these unvaccinated workers back to work and also give them a year of back pay, which is, I mean, it's great news for it's great news for the people who can go back to work now. Not great news necessarily for those public companies, but I think when you're talking about a public company, like if a government runs anything, essentially, I don't think money's the major concern for a lot of parties, is it? Like, the, <laughs> if it means you get a few more votes, like, like just look here in Victoria, we 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 just we play with money like it's gone out of gone out of fashion. Like money, look. I don't, this isn't a political conversation. I'm not sure why I'm going down this rabbit hole because the truth is anyone with half an idea of uh, you know how politics works and the money structures of it will be listening to this. Go, Thomas, shut up, mate. You don't know. And I, I, I'm right there with you, all right? But I'm just trying to play with a couple of ideas here. We can't be going around like we all know. This is the thing. Like so many people have a... Uh, there's so many people who are experts in, in, and myself included, we're experts in our own minds. But the truth is, like how much time can you contribute to thinking about every single issue that there is to think about at any one time like you've got to get up i've got kids i have those for a couple of hours then i've got to go and do some work write some funny jokes have some lunch have a coffee i'll go for a run i'll go over to the beach i'll do this podcast and then you know there's 45 minutes left and really you should spend that time reading or something shouldn't you so what do you how much time are you really going to have to contribute towards getting a full understanding of of what's going on but all of a sudden, myself and everyone I know has become an expert on COVID and vaccines and whether they're good or whether they're bad or why they're good and why they're bad. And But the same is true in the world of football, the world of sport in general. I think any particular topic that you're passionate about, it's easy to just assume, you know, I find that hard sometimes. I think it's hard when, you, when you're sitting back and you've heard someone speak about a particular issue and you see it completely differently. It's hard not to let your emotions get the better of you. But one thing I often find, like if my emotions get the better of me, I never actually hear the, the argument properly. That's another good factor with most of, I say most of my close friends. Yeah, there's a couple of really close friends where this is completely untrue, but most of my, me and my close friends, we can disagree strongly on an issue and, and still have a good conversation about it. Like they can go, Toss, you genuinely have no idea what you're talking about. I was like, well, break it down. Tell me the things I don't understand. And I go, okay, actually, hopefully that's a good point. I like the conversation, but for me, when I get emotional, I lose interest in the actual topic and I start going, fuck you, <laughs> your mum's a big fat bitch. I just, it just gets really personal. Once you start talking about the weight of the person you're arguing with, mum, you go, okay, well, I'm, I'm a little bit too far in here. I'm, I'm a bit too passionate about this particular conversation. I think that's why I look up to people who are, who are pretty cool, like the Rick Rubens of the world. I think that's why I like Rick Rubin because he's that kind of guy who, I heard him talking about how we'll go through a process of 
trying to decide whether or not he should work with a particular band. And often people come to him and just assume that he has all the ideas. He's like, no, no, I've, I've got a couple. They might be good, they might be bad, but we've got to work together so we can figure out what's what. So when you talk, I shut up and I listen and I do my best not to be emotional about whatever I believe. And then when I talk, try to do the same thing. He goes, and from there, like, our goal shouldn't be to get our own idea implemented. Our goal should be to have the best outcome for the project that we're working on. I was like, hey, I like that. And I think, like, surely in conversations, don't we, don't we want to have that, like, you want the outlook where you actually, eventually you know. Eventually you know. I was talking to a mate last night, the champ, Shane, he said to me, um, so many of us have that attitude where it's like, I've made up my mind, don't, don't try and change my opinion with facts. <laughs> which, is, which, is, which is funny. Anyway, yeah, Rick Rubin's good like that. I like him for that reason. Actually, that was, I think it was that interview that really got me liking Lex Friedman. Lex is like, I think he was born in, he was born in Russia, I'm pretty sure. I think he came to the United States when he was maybe 10 or 12. I, just, I feel like he's the stereotype of, of what a Russian is in many ways. Socially, anyway, like he's quite serious. He's very quiet, very thoughtful. But not backwards in coming forward. If he disagrees with something, he'll he'll tell you why he disagrees. Like I heard, I'm I'm a third of the way through or halfway through the Kanye West, Lex Friedman interview. I listened to that on like a 45 minute run the other day and a little bit at the gym. And it's credit to him, man. Like I don't know if him and Kanye are friends, but Kanye is a pretty big name, and as a result, it can be intimidating interviewing a a, a personality like that. Imagine having Kanye on your podcast and, and just trying to play it cool, trying to pretend you're not fangirling about the fact he's on the other side. And, and Kanye was, in true Kanye fashion, he was coming out there with some pretty wild, he was coming out there with some pretty wild claims. Now, I don't know, I reckon with Kanye, a lot of what he says, I think it just comes out wrong. I think, I felt like I understood the essence of what he was trying to say in this podcast, but out of context, you go, oh, Kanye, no, 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 like you can't. We can't say that, mate. It's it's still too soon. It's still too soon. He was talking. I'll, I'll let you guys listen to it if you're interested. But he was talking about, um, you know, the power that certain Jewish people have in certain industries, and uh, but it was coming out in a way which was, uh, it was it was controversial. You can't you can't say it essentially. And and Lex called him on it. Lex is like, mate, like you've got to understand. You can't just be throwing out general statements like that. And he's like, well, it's true, man. And, and, and Lex is like, well, what? He goes, oh, Lex, what do I do then? Like, what would you tell me to do? He's like, call out individuals. Because it's very easy to call out an industry. I find that as well. Like, it's very easy to call out an industry rather than an individual. But, like, when you call out an individual, essentially one thread at a time, if you're right, you start to hopefully, you know, if not bring it down, just draw a little bit of attention to what it is that's upsetting you. I think that's a pretty healthy place to start. I don't know, it was just a strange interview, but my, my respect for Lex just went through the roof because uh, he was asking the hard questions. But more than that, he's just, he's just so switched on. I, I think uh, he's one of those kind of guys that I, I think you could throw any subject at him and he seems to have a pretty well-formed opinion on it. Maybe that's just with history. Like when it comes to history and things like that, I think he, he seems pretty switched on. Like they were speaking a little bit about the, the impact of the Nazis and um, you know, some of the scientific justifications for what was taking place there. And he was just breaking it down step by step. And I think he'd spent a fair bit of time reading about this, but your ability just to retain that knowledge, I was like, oh, Lex, incredible. 
incredible. So I went away and, uh, I don't know, certain people just inspire you. Uh, I think it was, who was it that I heard the other day? I think it was Jordan Peterson saying, hey, you've got to pay attention to who you, you feel awe for. Like, who is it that you have huge respect for and, and why? Because pay attention to that because often it tells you something about your own personality. And I think I often, I have a lot of respect for uh, so many creatives, like creatives in the sense that they're a little slower with their work, but with the work that they do, it's really high quality. I've got a tendency, I can rush through things if I'm not being focused. And I'll, I'll go like a mile wide and an inch deep on 16 different things. Whereas I've got a mate who's a photographer, Timmy Harris. And Timmy Harris, every time I was around him, his house is clean. When he put surfboards on the car, he would make sure they're tied up properly. My best mate Jock is like this as, as well in a lot of in a lot of respects. And as a result, you go, ah, okay, so you just you're you're taking it slow, but you're doing really well. And I like that. So I think that's one of the facets of a person's personality that I sort of admire. And, and Lex's, I think he's joined the I think he's joined the crew. I think he's joined the crew. One of the things I was going to tell you before was uh, in the in the documentary time with uh, little Ollie each night, I'll, I'll listen to something else. And I, I bumped across this one. You know, uh, Andrew Huberman, a neuroscientist, I'm pretty sure he's, or a neurophysicist. I'm not 100% sure. I get muddled up. Once you start chucking seven different syllables in one particular word, I go, you know what, I'll just, just Google his name if you're really interested to know what he does. But uh, he, had a, he had an awesome podcast out yesterday. I put it on my Instagram story just about fitness tools and how to structure your week of training. And this is, as a bloke who's really interested in health and well-being, I, I like trying to look at different facets of fitness and how to implement it in a way which is most effective. I think for me, I boil it down to three categories. It's like you want strength, you want endurance, you want flexibility, like mentally and physically, I guess you would say. And this guy had a really good structure. Essentially, he, he, he broke it down the same way. Not much flexibility in there, but he was saying Sunday's a day where you go out and you do like a long run, a jog, 60 minutes to an hour, 15. Uh, Monday, you, he does his legs. Tuesday, he goes in and just spends time doing sauna and uh, and ice pools. That's something I don't ever do, but I've, I've listened to enough Joe Rogan now to, you know, to have been sold the idea that it's good, whether or not it is. I mean, like, what are they doing? They're doing that in... in European countries, isn't it? Like, is it Eastern Europe where they do a lot of the, uh, they're doing a lot of hot, cold pools? I think the weather's, you know, it's, it's fairly well suited to that. Or you, you just grab any Finnish bloke, because any, anywhere where the weather's cold, you say, chuck me in a hot sauna, and you go, okay, you know what? Seems like a pretty good idea. Wednesday, he does torso, which I thought is like a really random, that's a random way to structure your workout, isn't it? Just torso. So that's neck, back, shoulders, chest, a little bit of arms. Then Thursday, it's like a, Similar to Sunday, but a bit faster. You go out for 45 minutes of pretty steady running. Friday is like a 100% intensity kind of workout. I didn't know about the, the backing up the Friday with the, thir uh, the Thursday and the Friday because that's two pretty solid sessions, but I was thinking running. I guess you could go out for like a solid run on a Thursday. Then Friday, you can get on a rowing machine or a bike. And then Saturday, I don't know if I've heard. Oh, Saturday was arms, calves, and neck. Just like touching up those parts of the body in the gym. So I was like, you know what? Check him out. If you haven't seen him yet, he's a, he's a switched on unit. Also very interesting is his YouTube channel. Some of his, for, for what he does, it's amazing how much attention he attracts. You just, you wouldn't think someone with that title, whether it's neurophysicist or neuroscientist, <laughs> I'm not sure, is, uh, is going to be that popular. But man, his videos range from like, he's got half a million views to three and a half million views. And they're all, not I haven't seen all of them. I've seen a couple, but they seem very interesting. So he's good. 
I went and saw. Uh, have you heard of Rob Bell? Rob Bell was a he was a, a church pastor for many years. I think it was at Mars Hill. He was the founder of that church for a long time, and then he wrote a book called Love Wins. And all a lot of Christians freaked out <laughs> because he sounded like a universalist. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I think it's also people who just read the headlines and and don't really. I don't know. I don't know if that's true. Anyway, I went and saw this guy. He went and did a, a tour. It's called Everything Is Spiritual in Melbourne. It was the 30th and final city that he was going to. And uh, when I was there, it was good. I bumped into a couple of old faces, bumped into the pastor of our, our old church, his boys. Interesting when you see people you haven't seen for five years. And, and it's weird. You know when you're not really friends with a person, but you know them well enough to have a conversation with them. You know quite a lot about their lives. I had, I had that kind of interaction with them for a couple of minutes. I always find those awkward because everyone, know, everyone knows what's going on. Like everyone knows it's like, all right, we didn't choose to be here. We haven't organized a meetup. I'm not that interested in your family necessarily. <laughs> I, said to, I said to this guy, I was like, hey, mate, did you see me and Jesse had kids? He's like, no, nah, mate, I hadn't seen that. It's like, oh, you're either lying or <laughs> just not following anything we're doing very closely. Uh, you start, yeah, it's a, it's a small talk. Small talk's good for like 35 seconds, I reckon, and then, then you get a little bit over it. Anyway, speaking of small talk, I think I'm doing it right now. About to jump on a running podcast this afternoon that prepare like a pro podcast looking at the world of AFL and how to improve. Jump in, put my running my running hat on, my running knowledge hat on and, and, and talk to a football audience about what's going on in the world of running. That should be a little bit of fun then tonight. Off to Altham, hopefully into Collingwood. Maybe double up those gigs, get a couple of funny jokes. And tomorrow we're back. We're back local. The comedy scene's picking up again. I'm being a good husband for the next couple of weeks, just doing one night a week, ideally, just to help out with bath time. But if I can sneak another one in here and there, I'm going to do it. So that's enough for me, guys. You enjoy the rest of your week. Make sure you check out those documentaries I told you. They're very, very good. But until next week, I'm going to let you guys go. All right, see you later. Big love. Mwah.